Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 120. The true Rosh Hashanah of Scripture is not on the first day of the seventh month. It's always 14 days before Passover. So when John 12 verse 1 makes the statement, then six days before Passover, it is referring to a day eight days after New Year's Day. Shalom, friends. I'm Avi bin Mordechai. Welcome to Real Israel Talk Radio. And we're back. This is episode 120 and part 7 an analysis of Yeshua's last Passover week timeline of events leading to his crucifixion and his third day resurrection. And to follow along with this study today, I recommend that you navigate over to my website at cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. And there, navigate over to the free resources, and then on the drop-down menu, click on Podcast Extras, and download and or print the year 27 chronology of Exhibits A and B. And that should help you to follow along with what I'm going to be talking about today. On last week's episode, number 119 and part 6, we took a deep dive into a number of historical facts that I believe might decisively give us enough information to identify year 27 as the year of Yeshua's last Passover week of events leading to his crucifixion and his third day resurrection. Now, if I am correct in what I've come up with, then I say the Roman and Jewish historical events and the redacted biblical accounts should confirm everything that I'm talking about. And this is the lesson that I want to begin with today as we continue gazing into the detailed records of 27 main events events that I believe shape the narratives of Yeshua's last Passover week from his crucifixion to his third day resurrection. And just before I take us into an opening introduction, I want to first take us into the upper room Passover supper and just briefly talk a little bit about this, okay? And we can find the written gospel record in Matthew 26, verse 17. Now, I feel it is important to ask the question, was Yeshua's evening meal event simply a reenactment of a legal Passover? Or did he and his disciples actually participate in a legal Passover according to the law of Moses in the book of Exodus chapters 12 and 13. I suppose what I'm asking is the question, was the upper room event a legal Torah Passover or not? Now, if it was not a legal Passover, as many would argue that point, 
then I would say exactly what was the event, and how does it compare to the testimony of Matthew 26, 17. Now, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Yeshua, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Was this narrative written as a teaching reenactment of a legal Torah Passover, using what we might call types, shadows, and symbolisms? Well, some might think this, but not I. Instead, my position remains firm that the Upper Room event, which was called a Passover or Pesach, was in fact a legal event of Scripture, carried out precisely according to the commandments in the written Torah at Exodus chapters 12 and 13. Now, I want you to notice from Matthew chapter 26, verse 17, that there is no ambiguity with the question that Yeshua's disciples asked him. They, in fact, said to Yeshua plainly, Where do you want us to go to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Was it that Yeshua was leading them on with his own agenda and was posturing and pretending that he wanted to eat the Passover, but really he did not even do so? No, I don't see the events playing out that way. Instead, I think his intention was to do a legal and genuine Pesach according to the written Torah in Exodus chapter 12. But in doing so, his intention was to bring in the types, shadows, and symbolisms of earth into synchronicity with what they represent in heaven, as we learn from Matthew 26, 26 through 29. And as they were eating, Yeshua took bread, blessed and broke, and he gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave to them, saying, Drink from him, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, that is the Brit Hadashah, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, many have asked for a very long time, how is it possible that Yeshua could be the Passover lamb of Scripture and also observe a legal Passover of Scripture? based on Exodus chapter 12. Well, please be patient, and soon I am going to try to present a detailed answer for you, okay? Now, before I go any further, I do want to speak about day-naming conventions. You see, much later on in human history, pagan cultures introduced a name for each day of the week based on one of their local deities. But for those of us who walk with Jehovah, 
That is all totally irrelevant, meaning it is what it is today. As we say in modern Hebrew, Asma, so what? Biblical truth is biblical truth. The first of the seven consecutive days of the creation week will always be the first of the seven consecutive days of the creation week. And likewise, the seventh of seven days will always be the seventh of seven days, regardless of whatever naming conventions one happens to choose to adopt. The fact was always the same for the pagans. They called their first day of the week Sunday based on the Hebrew first day of the week. So you see, it doesn't really matter to me what they call these days and how we use them today. The Hebrew biblical texts tell us exactly what's going on. The pagans called their seventh day Saturday to honor a pagan deity. And I don't think that it should matter to any of us what name the pagans called each of their seven days, because in truth, each of their named days still correspond to the numbered days that Jehovah presented to us in Scripture. This does not require that we have a doctorate in rocket science following the declaration that our New Year's Day always is the fourth day after the spring Tukufa or the spring equinox. Therefore, the first Sabbath of the new year will always land on the seventh day of the week in what is commonly called Saturday. In other words, the seventh day Sabbath never moves around or it never floats around or it never becomes something else to reflect different days of our week from year to year. No, I don't think so. The seventh day is always the seventh day. And the seventh day will always be what it is called in modern naming conventions. That is, Saturday, regardless of what deity the world wants to identify that day with. Who cares? Again, Ozma, they can do what they want. We're going to go with the numbered naming conventions, and therefore, Saturday just happens to also be day seven. And Sunday, yeah, Sunday, just happens to also be the first day of the week. So leave it alone and stop trying to improve on something just because the pagans do what they do with these days. I suppose I can just present a very bold question. Who came up with the numbered conventions first? Was it Yehovah or was it the people of the world, the pagans? Well, I think Yehovah came up with the numbers first and everyone else just kind of fell in line and followed suit using whatever naming conventions they wanted to name them. Okay, now with all that being said, I want to tell you that the information that you are going to hear in the coming weeks of these episodes on the events that shaped that last week of Yeshua's timeline leading to his crucifixion and his third day resurrection, 
All of the information you will hear is based in part on, but is not limited to, the following resources. The Dead Sea Scrolls, Book of Jubilees, Qumran Texts 4Q216-224, a book published in the 1950s by Professor Annie Joubert, published by the Catholic Society of St. Paul, New York, The Mystery of the Last Supper, a book written by Colin J. Humphreys, published by Cambridge University Press, Gilbertian Theory, a paper written by Stéphane Saulnier, published by Brill Publishing in the Netherlands, The Chronology of the Passover Week by James Walter, published in the Journal of Biblical Literature back in 1958, also the website calendar resource of www.torahcalendar.com. It's one word, torahcalendar.com. Also, the Second Temple Commonwealth New Covenant Gospel Narratives. And I'm taking the information there from the Koine Greek, precisely as it was written by those recognized as the writers of those narratives. That is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And emphatically, I want to state that I also relied heavily upon Yehovah's Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of the Holy One, whom without prayerful and direct guidance and inspiration, as I would hope so, I would really have nothing of any substance to offer you or to speak about. However, with all of this information... I am again presenting two graphic calendars so you can compare all of the data between the two. Again, the calendars are identified as Exhibit A and Exhibit B. Exhibit A is the official Judean Pharisaic cited moon calendar of the late Second Temple period. And Exhibit B is the unofficial Qumran House of Tzedok, Sons of Light, Solar Sevens calendar of ancient biblical days. I carefully attempted to match all of the events of Yeshua's final Passover week to the same seven-day period between years 23 and 37. However, what I found is that none of the chronologies played out in the same precise manner that they played out in year 27. And I found that really interesting. So that is one of the many reasons why I am choosing year 27 to identify all of the events that played out in that particular year when Yeshua was here. Now, in getting started, I would like to begin with the first day of the first Chodesh or the first month according to what is written in the Torah at Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Now Jehovah spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, Ha-chodesh hazeh lechem. The chodesh is this one to all of you. The head of the chodeshim, he is the first to all of you for or towards the Chodeshim of the year. So, that being said, 
I now want to go on and compare the religious calendar exhibits A and B and put them together so that you can see them side by side, so to speak. So, once again, if you haven't grown tired of me saying it over and over again, to get access to the downloadable and printable study helps that are linked to this podcast and all the podcasts that will be coming over the next many, many weeks, please do navigate over to the free resources tab on my website. And there, just click on the drop-down menu list and look for Podcast Extras. And from there, you can print out the Year 27 Chronology of Events of Exhibits A and B. Again, Exhibit A is the official Pharisee Excited Moon Calendar, and Exhibit B is the Sadok Sevens Solar Calendar. Take a look at those, and you can follow along with what I'm going to be talking about today and in the coming weeks. Now, Calendar Exhibit A is a year 27 snapshot from the official Pharisaic calendar of the Jews, meaning the Pharisaic lunisolar Judean calendar from what we would call March and April of year 27 in our common era. This Calendar Exhibit A is built on the ancient day-to-day Judean sunset-to-sunset paradigm. You can be very sure that the information on Calendar Exhibit A is accurate, at least according to ancient historical sources, cultural astronomical records, and today's cosmological computer technologies that we all have grown very used to relying upon. What I used for this study Just navigate over to the website, TorahCalendar.com. Again, TorahCalendar.com. It's just one word. When you arrive at the homepage on that website, just simply select Hebrew Month 1 in Year 27 of the Common Era, CE, and then click on View Calendar. Now, the man who developed the work actually is a delightful and brilliant friend of mine that I have personally known for many, many years. And I can vouch for his personal integrity and also for his years of dedicated self-sacrificing research that went into building the work that drives the site's chronology engine. Now, Calendar Exhibit B is a year 27 snapshot of the unofficial calendar of the Qumran House of Tzedok. And this is an unchanging solar calendar, meaning the times and dates of all the events remain the same, regardless of the current year, because the calendar is based on precise unmovable feast days within a seven-month biblical festival calendar of 364 days over the course of 12 months. In any given 12-month period on the Qumran House of Tzedok calendar, there will always be four divisions of three-month cycles. Within this paradigm, 
months or Chodeshim 1 and 2, 4 and 5, 7 and 8, 10 and 11. They are all assigned with 30 days each. However, months 3, 6, 9, and 12 each have 31 days because they include a special one-day header or a day of remembrance that is predictably linked to each one of the four annual solar events that Jehovah pre-programmed into his astronomical system clock of earth-time reckoning for all of his feasts and festivals. Those pre-programmed days of remembrance are the spring equinox, the summer solstice, the fall equinox, and the winter solstice. Now, the beauty of the Qumran House of Tzedok biblical priestly calendar is that from time immemorial, it remains the same because all of the biblical feast days are appointed as Moedim or appointed times by Jehovah to fall into their special times and their seasons, which is precisely what Yeshua and Paul spoke about. Permit me to give you a couple of examples. Matthew 16, 1-4. Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and, testing him, asked him, Yeshua, that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, bad weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. So Yeshua then says, Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot the signs of the times. If you put that statement back into its Hebrew context, he is saying, you cannot discern the signs, meaning the Moedim of the times, meaning the divisions of the Moedim, or the divisions of the signs, which are all based on the 364-day annual solar calendar. Then there is this from Shaul, or Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 5.1 and 5.5. 5. Let's first take a look at verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Again, if we were to take Paul's statement and put it into its Hebraic framework, the ideas are going to come out very Hebraic, which is good. So Paul is saying, but concerning the times, referring to the divisions, and the seasons, referring to the appointed times or the Moedim, you have no need that I should write to you. Obviously, he was teaching them about all of these times and seasons, or if you wish, the divisions of the signs of the Moedim. So he goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness, because he's making a reference 
to the ideas precisely as Yeshua spoke about it in Matthew 16, verse 4. These two statements that I've given to you, the first from Matthew 16, 1 through 4, and the second from 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 5, 5, these are two new covenant declarations reflecting the biblical teachings of the Qumran House of Tzedek Solar Sevens Calendar, which is represented for you on Exhibit B, which you should have in your hands or at least on your computer so that you can follow along with everything that I'm talking about here. Now, when we come back after my break, I would like to get into some of the details of all of the events from Yeshua's last Passover week in year 27. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 120. Here is your host, Avi ben Mordechai. Okay, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi ben Mordechai. It's great to have you back with me for the second half of this program. Now to get started with the 27 events that I have identified from the last week of Yeshua's Passover week, or what is called his Passion Week, let's begin with the declaration of the new year, as it is spoken about in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Now Yehovah spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This very Chodesh, or this very month, is to all of you your head of the Chodeshim, or your head of the months. He is first to all of you towards the Chodeshim of the year. Yes, that's exactly how it's reading in the Hebrew text. He is first to all of you towards the Chodeshim, or the months of the year. Remember, the House of Tzedek Sevens calendar always begins a new year on the fourth day of the week following the spring equinox, or what is called the spring Tkufa in Hebrew. Tkufa is a Hebrew word that means a full circuit. That is, wherever you start, you finish at the same exact place. You just take a full circuit and end where you began. That's the concept behind the Hebrew term tekufa. Accordingly, the true Rosh Hashanah of Scripture is not according to the Pharisaic rule on the first day of the seventh month. No, that's not where Rosh Hashanah is located in Hebrew Scripture. It's always 14 days before Passover, and is referred to as day one of Chodesh number one, or day one of month one. So when John 12 verse 1 makes the statement, then six days before Passover, it is referring to a day that was eight days after New Year's Day, meaning that John 12.1 is referring to the fourth day of the week, or a Wednesday, 
as you can see from following along with me on Calendar Exhibit B. Why did Jehovah tell Moses to write down the command for all Israel in the precise way that he did? Why would he do that? Because at the time when the Hebrew nation was still in Egypt, why, they were submitted to ancient Egypt's calendars, which were both solar and lunar. Our ancestors, the Hebrew people, lived out their everyday lives according to the Egyptian solar calendar, which regulated all of their day-to-day domestic events. But when the Egyptians stopped to celebrate their religious festivals, and there were many of them to the honor of their many gods, then they shifted over to their lunar calendar. However, from a civil point of view, the Egyptian New Year was based on the solar calendar that controlled annual flooding of the Nile River in what we would call the month of July. The Egyptian New Year was announced based on the very bright rising evening star that we call Sirius, S-I-R-I-U-S, Sirius. It's in the constellation Canis Major, which is referred to as the constellation of the Big Dog. Therefore, Sirius was called the Dog Star. Now, perhaps you've heard the saying, the dog days of summer. It's not about the lazy days of summer. Rather, it's a holdover from the Egyptian New Year when the star Sirius, that's S-I-R-I-U-S, would rise in the evening sky, usually between July 14th and 19th, just in time to announce the annual flooding of the Nile River. With the rise of Sirius, ancient Egyptian culture celebrated a religious festival of rebirth, rejuvenation, and a new beginning. And they called the festival the opening of the year. For the ancient Egyptians, the new year was honored through special religious rituals that were all based on the lunar calendar. So you see, they used the solar and lunar calendar for different aspects of life. And I'm sure the Hebrew people were all well acquainted with everything that the Egyptians were doing with it. So when it came time for Jehovah to redeem Israel and to set his nation free from their bondage, Jehovah told Moses and Aaron to establish the new Hebrew nation new year in the spring of the year and not in the dead heat of a midsummer's night. The Hebrew people were told to not emulate the Egyptians. But of course, we know about many of the idolatrous practices of our ancestors. And so for Jehovah, taking his people out of Egypt was just half the problem. The other half of his problem was getting Egypt out of his people. And we still have that same problem today. And you can see a historical example of this by looking at Ezekiel 8, 12 through 16. Then he, referring to Jehovah, 
said to Ezekiel, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark, every man in the room of his idols? For they say, Jehovah does not see us. Jehovah has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Turn again, and you will see greater abominations that they are doing. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of Jehovah's house. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. Now you might be wondering, Tammuz? Why would the Jewish people do this to this very day? Why are they using a Babylonian name for a month? Referring to the fourth Chodesh, or the fourth month of the 12 months of a year, and calling the month Tammuz. Why would they do that? Well, that's a good question. You should ask some of your Orthodox Jewish friends why they do it. Oh, they do have an answer, but I don't think you're going to like it. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, and you will see greater abominations than these. So, he brought me into the inner court of Jehovah's house, and there at the door of the temple of Jehovah, between the porch and the altar, about twenty-five men, with their backs toward the temple or the house of Jehovah, and their faces toward the east. And they were worshiping the sun towards the east. Now, I want to tell you clearly, it was not the sun of the fourth day of creation that they were worshiping. You might think so, but I don't think so. I think it was the very, very bright rising evening star Sirius, the dog star. That's what they were bowing down toward. You see, for those 25 men of the house of Israel in Ezekiel 8.16, the men were marinating themselves in the radiating energy of the star Sirius, because it's a very, very bright star. Yes, even brighter than our actual sun in our solar system. It is. Well, they obviously believed that Sirius gave them some power of rejuvenation rebirth, and a new beginning based on the Egyptian festival of the Nile River and the New Year. And this is what the Syrophoenician woman was speaking about in her dialogue with Yeshua when the subject of Jehovah's mercy and covenant loyalty came into view. Take a look at Matthew fifteen twenty-six through 27. But he, Yeshua, answered and said to this woman, It is not good to take the son's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, well, Yes, master, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. The table here is referring to the table of the lechem hapanim, or the showbread with all those 12 loaves that were baked every week and put into the holy place by the priests 
They would take the old bread out and they would eat the bread. That is, they would eat the weak old bread. So you see that Syrophoenician woman? Well, she was well aware of all the idolatry from the whole house of Israel and their worship of heavenly deities such as the star Sirius, the dog star, rising in the east in what we call the month of July, according to the pagan dog days of summer. So this said, let's now get back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. Again, now Jehovah spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, Ha-chodesh lechem. The Chodesh is this one to all of you. The head of the Chodeshim, he is the first to all of you. For or towards the Chodeshim of the year. When Jehovah redeemed his people from Egypt, he was not interested in breeding the customs of the Egyptians and the surrounding nations. Jehovah's objective was to save a nation for himself by giving them a new beginning, starting with day one of Chodesh one, or what Judaism today calls Nisan one. This very day is a date that was appointed by Jehovah to memorialize the divine light of Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Jehovah taught his people and continued to teach his people how to be sons of light based on the fourth day sunlight of the creation week in Genesis 1, 14 through 19. And so the Hebrew nation was to pass this truth down to every generation. We were called out of Egypt to become Jehovah's sons of light based on Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He showed us the reality of this through his metaphor, the metaphor of the divine light from Genesis 1, 3 through 5 is expressed into this earthly world through the creation of the greater luminary, which we call the sun, created on the fourth day of the creation week, or what the world calls Wednesday. So the greater luminary is the metaphor of Jehovah's eternal divine light. And so the term sons of light is simply an expression of Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. But it's expressed through the everyday light of the sun that we all enjoy on a bright, sunny day. We are to show the world the light of Jehovah using sunlight to express this truth to the world. It was the first fourth day of the creation week, which follows the annual spring equinox in what we call the month of March every year. It was that way in ancient Israel, and it's still the same way today. Then 14 days later, after the spring equinox, he showed the nation his great mercy, and he gave them his pledge of loyalty, a nation that did not know his character 
and did not know his name. However, over many centuries, they came to understand Jehovah through the annual festival of Passover, exactly as he wanted it to be observed on the third day of the week, or on the third day of the Sabbath, as it is regularly said in Judaism, the third day of the week. It's a day that the world and that we often call Tuesday. This is how Jehovah wanted to be honored. Yeshua came to fulfill the will of Jehovah as it appears on calendar exhibit B with the biblical Passover. Because Jehovah is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for that, you can see Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 in the New Covenant, the Brihada Shah. Yeshua's Passover was the same even as it was in the days of Moses. As it was in the days of Moses, so also with Yeshua. They both observed the same rituals of the Passover on the third day. That is, again, Tuesday night, the 14th day of the first Chodesh. And you can follow along with this on my calendar exhibit B. So now, this brings us to event number one in that final week of the events that shape Yeshua's life, his death, and his resurrection. And this is where it gets really interesting and exciting at the same time. If you will now, please open up your Bible to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is event number one from my list of 27 events that I have identified in that last week of Yeshua. Now remember, Hebraically from the ancient Hebrew Bible, New Year's Day is always 14 days before Passover on day one of Chodesh 1, or what Judaism calls Nisan 1 to this very day. But the narrative for this event recorded for us in John 12, verse 1, it says that this event is six days before Passover. So, this tells us that John 12, 1 is eight days after New Year's Day. And on calendar exhibit B, this would be called Aviv 8, or the eighth day of the first Chodesh. So let's read it together. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Then six days before the Passover, Yeshua came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus, or Eleazar, was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Miriam, took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Yeshua, and wiped his feet with her hair. Then the house was filled with the fragrance of that oil. But one of his disciples, Yehuda ish Kiriot, that is, Yehuda ben Shimon, the son of Simon, and I will explain who these people are shortly. This time stamp 
from John chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, Then six days before the Passover, I think it refers to Wednesday, the fourth day of the Sabbath, or what we might call the fourth day of the week. The narrative sets us up to receive a fulfillment of Jehovah's divine redemption through the faithful work of Yeshua based on Jehovah's promises to the Hebrew nation in the book of Exodus, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Therefore, say to the sons of Israel, I am Jehovah. Number one, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Number two, I will rescue you from their bondage. Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Number four, I will take you as my people. Number five, I will be your Elohim. Number six, then you shall know. And that's the Hebrew word yada, which is a Hebrew term that means you will know by way of experience that I am Yehovah, your Elohim, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And number seven, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am Yehovah. Okay, if I am correct that John 12.1 is a reference to one week after New Year's Day on the previous Wednesday, the fourth day of the week in year 27, I would then ask, to what specific Passover is it referring? When he says, six days before the Passover. Was it a reference to the official Judean Pharisaic lunar calendar of Passover on Thursday evening after sunset on Aviv 15, shown on Exhibit A? Or was the statement referring to the unofficial Qumran House of Tzedok solar calendar of Passover, which was on Tuesday evening, the third day of the week, and the 14th day of the first Chodesh, or what we might say is Aviv 14, shown on Exhibit B. I think the correct answer to the question can be rightly assumed based on three significant statements, two of them from John and one from Luke. The context of John's two statements is that Yeshua was in Bethany at the home of a man by the name of Shimon, and we are going to come to speak of him later, so please be patient. After supper, Miriam anointed Yeshua with a very costly oil of spikenard. That is a very strong-scented medicinal healing herb today. It was used extensively at the time in Greece and in Rome, and it comes from the valerian plant. Now, as Miriam wiped the plant oil on Yeshua's feet, Shimon's son, Yehuda, or Judas, yes, the same one who betrayed Yeshua. You see, he complained that the costly oil was being misused. 
But Yeshua's response to the complaint was given in John chapter 12. Let's go to verse 7. But Yeshua said, Leave her alone. She has kept this or guarded this for the day of my burial. The idea was referring to the day of his death. Now look at the time stamp that was given to us in John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover. Now let's compare this to Luke 22 and verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, referred to in Hebrew as Chag Hamatzah, drew near, which is called Passover. I want to draw your attention to the three statements that were made. A. She has kept this for the day of my burial. B. Six days before the Passover. And C. The Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. Now, when you glue them all together, so to speak, they forge a cohesive timeline that's really hard to miss. Now, unfortunately, I am out of time and I can't continue. But next week on episode 121 and part eight, I will continue with this study and we will pick up with where I have left off today as we continue in this series, okay? So I hope this was helpful to you to at least understand some of this going on in John chapter 12, verse 1, at least from my perspective. I want to thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today. Peruse the website at www.cominghome.co.il. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio.